You are listening to the Legal Community Podcast, hosted by Guy Remond and Dave Zampano, powered by Guider. Guider provides self-service online legal documents supported by your local attorney. Fast, affordable, and in your own time. For more information and resources, please visit guider.legal and enjoy the show. Thank you for listening to the Legal Community Podcast, Episode 14, Forming the Right Business Collaborations. We're joined by Guy Remond and Dave Zampano. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you. Hey, thanks, Lisa. Hi, Dave. Hi, Guy. So, forming the right business collaborations. I'd like to make a distinction between relationships and collaborations just to, to start with. Building the right relationships in, in a business, in my opinion, is the single most fundamental principle for a successful business. Without relationships, whether that be with your team members or your customers, you just don't have a business. However, collaborations are a little bit different. Collaborations are where you form effectively partnerships with usually other companies, but sometimes other people. And those collaborations are a a case of where the two of you combined are much more powerful than the two individual entities, whatever they are, whether the people or whether the companies. And magic can happen. And there's three ways of thinking, I I believe, about growing your business. And most businesses think about small incremental gains. And if they get a a 5% increase, a 10% increase year on year, then that's been a really good year. And maybe during a recession, if they break even, that's been a really good year. And I think that probably accounts for quite a high percentage of of companies. And then there's a, a 10 times mindset. And here, I think we're moving away from the standard business thinking into sort of the more entrepreneurial thinking. And that requires a different mindset and a different way of thinking and a different set of strategies. But the reality is that you do as much thinking and as much strategizing when you're thinking about how to 10 times your business KPIs as you do when you're thinking about how to incrementally increase them. It just might be slightly higher risk. It might be over a slightly longer time period, but it requires the same amount of thinking. So for me, in everything I do, I do as a 10 times kind of strategic mindset. And actually, more recently, my eyes have been opened by different thinking again, and that's based around collaborations. And instead of thinking about 10 times, think about 100 times. Now that, for most people, is a really hard concept get your head around. But if you apply all the sort of the same 10 times thinking in terms of strategies and so on, then you add in collaborations with companies uh, and the collaborations can take any kind of number of different forms, then genuine magic can happen within a business and both businesses, hopefully in that collaboration or both people in that collaboration will benefit from it. And I know know I've got examples of that. What do you think, Dave? Yeah, you know, guy, I'm listening, and you know, you know what just jumped out at me when, as you started talking about, I thought about my mother. My mother, I lost her recently at 95 and a half, and, but what's unique about my mother was she was an entrepreneur from the day she was born. She grew up, my grandfather started a wholesale food and grocery business, and when my mom was in her early 20s, now we're talking back in the 1940s, my grandfather had sent her out because he was sick and his main salesperson was sick. He sent my mother out to call on a couple of the customers to get their orders. 
Those customers called my grandfather and said, don't you ever send a woman here again to do a man's job, right? So this is a woman who in the 1940s, and by 1965, she took over my grandfather's business. So 1965, my mother was a woman business owner and a CEO, right? Talk about growing up in an environment, right? And in the 25 years she owned that business, she and my dad grew it 37-fold. And so that's what came to mind about collaboration because my mom always said, when you get married, your spouse will be your greatest asset or your worst liability. And I thought, what's the quintessential collaboration is marriage, isn't it? Right? And how many of them fail? Because they're not set up from the foundational concept of what makes a marriage work. Well, that's what makes a good collaboration work. A lot of people say partnership. My mother always said, be careful when you take on partners because you're taking on all their spouses and their kids and their problems. Because if their spouse is a spender, well, they're going to have a different business perspective on how they spend company profits, whether you reinvest in the company. So at the macro, that was kind of what hit me in the beginning. But if I had to bring it down to all this guy, I think two key things I'm going to challenge the listeners to and you. In my experience, powerful collaborations, I'm all with you. And again, I think we, we do talk a little bit about this in our book, the difference between 1x, 2x versus 10x versus 100x. I think in my experience, it's come down to two things. Number one is core values. I had been in business 20 plus years before I really understood at its core what core values were all about. And about four years ago, I took literally six months to build core values and another six months to work through them with my organization to develop them into written, defined core values. So I, I think that's a critical thing. You have to know your core values and you have to make sure that the people you're collaborating with share those core values. And one thing top at the top of that list, especially when it comes to what we do, Guy, you and I at least, what I found works is it can never be based on money. It's got to be based on impact. What impact do you want to have on the world? Anything I've ever worked with people that's based on money fails. It's not the driving force. People don't wake up in the morning focused on money. They wake up and say, okay, yes, I need money. But from a business standpoint, when you think about a collaboration, your collaboration has to create impact. If you create impact, you, money will follow. I think that's a key insight. That's challenge number one I, for all the listeners and for you guys to respond to uh, core values and impact. The second one is what I call the inside mindset versus the outside mindset. So we have one of our core values is curious. And we define curious as this. We ask questions of others. And we seek information from resources, and here's the key phrase, within and outside our organization to discover ways to improve beyond our current knowledge. I think one of the biggest things that I have gotten as an insight in working with different collaborations over the years, and I've had dozens of them, is I like to work with people that don't think they know everything. And that's what I call the inside mindset where they think they got it all figured out. They go in the back corner office, they get the people they want in that room. They tell them what they want. Those people respond to them and say, yeah, you're right. And that becomes the truth. I love the outside collaborator. You just you know people that start with an idea and say, what does the rest of the world think? What, do I not, what am I not thinking of that other people might be thinking of? And that's the outside, seeking that information within our organizations and outside our organization. I think that's critical in any collaboration. What do you think of those two key points, Guy, and what other ones might you add to the list? 
the core values. Every company I, I've worked with have core values and some are better executing on, on those than others, but I absolutely believe that they are a key part of any business moving forward. It keeps everybody on the same page. It helps drive the culture and so on. I actually think the biggest things that drives the way that people think is the mindset. Again, we are, I think we probably bring these guys up in, in every single podcast that we do, Dave, but I think back to strategic coach and and actually, the businesses that I'm working, two main businesses at the moment, both Guider and a company called EAG Capital, Entrepreneurs Help Entrepreneurs Capital, both formed with obviously one yourself and, and the other one with a guy called Gary Fletcher based in the UK. But all three of us attend Strategic Coach. And just going to a couple of your points that you made there, one is about mindset. I find that on these types of entrepreneurial programs, everybody has a very positive set of mindsets and they i 100 agree are not driven purely by money what they understand is that money is a byproduct of providing something to the world that is of significant value and if you can change people's lives for the better and provide a service or a product that does that then you know the money will follow you don't need to worry about the money the money will follow really when people are setting up businesses and then thinking about how to develop the business it's really how do I provide value to people that is worth them spending some of their hard-earned cash on? And, and then when you've done that is how do I continually evolve that, making use of new technologies, making use of new product, new materials, new thinking, whatever it is, to continually evolve that service or product. So it stays at the top of its game. It stays ahead of the competition. When I'm looking to collaborate, whether that is with uh, a business partner like yourself, uh, and we collaborate, I believe, really well, or whether it's with other companies, then you've got to look for companies with a similar type of mindset and a similar type of outlook. And you might have to kiss a few frogs before you find the princess. You know, I 100% agree with, with everything you've said. It is a specific group of people and it is a specific subset of companies that will be aligned with your values, your mindset, and the fact that you've got to generate value in the world before you can think about generating money. So what's your advice, Guy, to, there's some lawyers listening to this, being an entrepreneur, you and I talk about strategic coach, we talk about Abundance 360. We don't talk about them to promote them. We talk about them because they've had an impact on most of entrepreneurs. Huge impact. And, well, and, and here's what you and I know. You and I know that if whenever we meet another entrepreneur from either one of those two organizations, it bypasses probably six months of screening because yeah. anyone that's part of that organization, you know how they think. And we all think the same way because that's what brings us there. So what's your advice to people? And again, I'm not saying everybody should go join those two organizations. Not everybody's meant for those organizations. What is your advice to some of the attorneys listening or other people listening to find communities? Because really it's about a community and the statistic I'll use that I want you to specifically answer to how people can find the statistic I've always referenced, but it said the success in your life will be determined by the six people you spend the most time with. And so one of the things I know we know from our organizations, they always say, hang with people smarter than you. Right? A lot of people like to hang with people lesser than them because it makes them feel better. 
I know for me, I can speak, and I know you long enough that we like to go hang with people that are way smarter than us. And people think we're pretty smart. And we're like, yeah, no, we don't know nothing. You got to meet our friend Bob and Jim and, and Sally. And, and so we like to hang with those people because, wow, it gives us a different viewpoint, right? Who are the six people who spend the most time at? What's your recommendation to people listening to find communities where they might find great collaborators who think like them? Okay, so let's just rewind a little bit. I think the biggest thing that yeah, I've made the point earlier, and this is the crux of it, and this is where everything else comes from, and this will answer your question in the end. So just bear with me. There's going to be more change in the next 10 years than there has been in the last 50. So by definition, companies and the people that are going to be successful are people that aren't going to rest on the laurels and try and keep the status quo as it's always been over the X number of years, because that isn't going to make them successful. It's not going to allow them to provide their customers what they're going to need moving forward. The value they're producing is going to reduce rather than increase. So don't rest on your laurels. One aspect of that, and again, it goes to the coach thing. You know, I've been on that for 15 years. I think, Dave, you've been on coach for, for more than that. But it's it helps satisfy our quest to continually improve and continually put ourselves e- either slightly or sometimes actually in quite a big way out of our comfort zones so that we are continually learning and continually trying to move ourselves forward. If you, right, I'm going to give you a slightly wacky example here. I think we all know Madonna, right? Madonna translates pretty much anywhere in the world. But that lady now is, I think, I hope I'm not doing a disservice, but 60 years plus old now. And she's been around in the music industry since she was in her early 20s. The way she's done that is to continually evolve and change with the times and keep reinventing herself. So if you want to ask me what advice I would give to lawyers or any kind of business people moving forward is that they continually need to evolve and look forward and not look back and wish things were like they used to be because that will get them nowhere. They've got to continually learn, develop, evolve, and sometimes instead of an evolution, sometimes a revolution is required. They need to to really mix in circles that gives them that. And I don't know the legal sector well enough to know what those circles are, but certainly entrepreneurial groups where you've got similar types of mindsetted people who recognize the fact they need to change, evolve, reinvent themselves, reinvent the business, reinvent the products, reinvent the services on an ongoing basis. And and those that do will be successful and those that don't will eventually hit out into nothing and die. So summarizing, we got the core values, but we got that outside versus just inside. And then the thing I'm hearing you say is we got to get uncomfortable. Right. We got to continue to develop and grow and get uncomfortable, which made me think of a phrase Dan Sullivan said. I actually was looking at my notes from our last quarterly retreat with him. And I wrote a note in it. And I just it just hit me just now when you said that. And all growth is painful. The trick is not to avoid the pain, it's to minimize the period of time you are in it. And, and I think that quote from Dan Sullivan really emulates. I think the other side to that coin of going outside your comfort zone. For some people, that's uncomfortable. I know I've coached people for years and, you know, I say, well, would you try this? I'm like, oh my God, no. And then after they do it once or twice, oh my God, and all I ever live without doing this, right? 
So the trick is, I love that, go outside your comfort zone. And again, I think finding a community of people that think like you help you do that. Find people that push you. And I'm going to be honest, you all have done this. And, and maybe some of you listening are participants in this. I'm going to ask you to become really aware. You know, the bitch sessions, you know, when you get a bunch of people and all they do is talk about, and usually starts with politics. And then it's, they're this, and they're that, and this sucks. And they're like, holy crow, talk about v- me v- making a mad v- dash v- for the door. I, I do a mad dash for the door. Oh, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, like, hey, you say, sorry, I see Bob over there. Look, if you're around, here's a very simple test. I'm going to add one more. If your communities that you're participating in, are they stretching you to think outside? Or are you just associating with people that think like you so that you can create your own truths? Someone once told me a truth is when two people agree on something. Bob meets with Bill and says, isn't Jim a jerk? He is. Now that becomes their truth. But in reality, Jim's a smart one and those two are the idiots. And again, I apologize for my crass language. But for those of us that have been through the other side and have gone through this, really pay attention to what's occurring in the environment you're in. Is your energy level going up or down? And I encourage you to really pay attention to your energy meter. If you were in conversations that get you agitated and anxious, you are in the wrong conversations. You're in the wrong community of people. Really surround yourself with people, not that become yes men or yes women, but people that challenge us to say, how can we make that better? What do you think should happen? Oh my gosh, what can we? I remember, I'll use a quick example as we go on the wrap up. In my law firm, we had four attorneys and I used to say, guys, you know what? Don't become a trust mill. Don't just keep cranking out trust. I want you to do something unique and different every week. And we started having weekly meetings. And the agenda of the meeting was, tell me something new you did this week that you've never done before. And the attorneys would start looking. Now, look, that's proactive saying, oh, my God, what am I going to do this week? So when you're in those meetings, we used to say, okay, what can we do really cool here so we can report it out in our meeting next week? That's what I would encourage listeners to do here. Engage with people that challenge outside your comfort zone, support it, and, and make sure that no one stays in the pain parts too long. Guy, what are your closing thoughts? Sometimes you're held back by confidence. And actually, sometimes stepping out of your comfort zone enables you to see that you can do what you thought you were going to be uncomfortable doing. And you're different to the other people in the room. When I was at school, I was a lot of the time I was in what they used to call in the old days, the thick class. Actually, can't say that nowadays, but <laughs> not always, but quite often I was on the edge of, of being in the, the, the top class and on the, you know, the lower class, let's call it. And years later, and I mean, like literally in my thirties, we discovered that I'm dyslexic and my son's really quite heavily dyslexic. So actually me not being able to spell and have a, a fairly short attention span, as you're aware, Dave and Lisa, and, <laughs> and all the other kind of dyslexic traits. It explains a lot of things. But what that did, the net result of that was that when I came out of school, I didn't really have a huge amount of confidence. And it took me going into my 30s, and this is where strategic coach came in a little bit, as well as I did things like karate, which really helped my confidence as well. And I built that confidence up. And then even in my early business career, I'd sit in a room full of these, what I thought were important corporate people. And I was nervous going into those into that room because I thought I was inferior to them. Uh, and actually, when I got in there, I'm thinking, do you know what? I'm certainly not. I can hold my own and we can have a great conversation. And that confidence has increased. Every time I push myself out of my comfort zone, 
I've coped with it. I've dealt with it. And I continually do that now. I try and push myself out of my comfort zone. There's a few things I know I'm never going to be good at. I, I don't particularly enjoy doing. I'm not going to bother doing. But that's different to pushing yourself outside your comfort zone into something that you've never tried that you think maybe that would actually be a really good thing to do. So it could be a confidence thing as well. So I just thought I'd throw that in at the end and you never know. There might be people love that in the same position. I love that distinction because I think confidence is that that thing that's always gnawing at us from when we're little kids. Someone along the way told us we weren't good enough. Someone along the way told us, and it's because the world wants everybody to conform. Like you said, you're dyslexic. You couldn't do the spelling stuff. So you, there was something quote wrong with you. Yeah. It wasn't that you didn't know how to spell it. So you were dyslexic, but they didn't know how to really analyze that at the time and diagnose it. So I love that. Love that because some of our disabilities aren't disabilities at all. It's really genius. The benefits, there's, there's so many entrepreneurs out there with conditions that back in the day, we didn't even know were conditions that, that, that you know, that are. They didn't have they, labels, they like everything has people. a label today. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah, And in some ways, that's a good thing. In some ways, it's not. But anyway, there we go. Anyway, great conversation. Yeah, cool. Thank you. It's always good to spend time with you, Guy. Thank you, Lisa, for hosting as always. Yeah, wonderful conversation today. Keyword, collaboration. So thank you, gentlemen. And just. Just don't ask me to spell it, Lisa. <laughs> That's okay. That's why we have spell check and Google. We're all set. All right. All right. Well, thank you and have a wonderful day, everyone. And thanks for listening to the Legal Community Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Legal Community Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Visit us at guider.legal for more information and please review and share this show. We'll see you next time.